Hello, Remote Start Nation, and welcome to Remote Start, the podcast for the individual who wants to start a business, build a lifestyle brand, and do it all while living the lifestyle they desire. Our goal is to help you take that idea, skill, or passion and turn it into a profitable, scalable business that thrives within your community. I'm Jim Doyon, your host, and I am on a mission along with special guests to help you understand yourself, the lifestyle you truly want from your business, and what it takes to start and scale it through systems and creating a sought-after brand. Regardless of the industry or where your small business is at in its growth stage, Remote Start is packed with lessons, stories, and the do's and don'ts of how to get where you want. So my simple question to you, what are you ready to start? If it's in business, branding, or lifestyle, then start it now and join the Remote Start Nation. Without further ado, let's get this show started. What is up, Remote Start Nation? Let's get something started. I'm Jim Doyon, and I want to welcome you to another episode of Remote Start, where I bring you stories and strategies on how to start a business, build a brand, and create your desired lifestyle. On today's episode, I want to bring in someone really special, someone that I've had the pleasure of working with in Woodward Movement's hometown of Ferndale, Michigan, for years now. She's done a lot for the community and has turned her event into one of the biggest in the city awareness and love to the community. Also proud to say that for years now, Wood Movement has been the merchandise partner of this incredible event. Julia recently walked away from teaching so she could focus full-time as an event producer on the Ferndale Pride Festival, which she co-founded in 2011 and then took over running all operations back in 2014. I want to take our time together in this episode to discuss with Julia what it was like to go full-time as a, a producer, the growth of the Ferndale Pride Festival, and to really dig into some of the behind the scenes work that goes into such an incredible event. So without further ado, I want to welcome Julia Music. Welcome to the Remote Start Nation. Thank you so much for having me today, Jim. I appreciate the time that you're taking to interview me. Absolutely. We've been talking about this for a while and with, with June coming up, and I, I just think it's such an awesome time to have you on the show. and. You know, with that said, I, I let's start this off. Like, tell everyone listening, tell the Remote Start Nation something about you that if we wouldn't know you, if we had just met you, tell us something that we wouldn't know. Well, um, you know from living in Ferndale that Ferndale is a really unique place with a lot of um, a lot of people with interesting hobbies, and I am one of the one of the people who's really into a club we have here called Ferndale's Crazy Caterpillar People. And we work on planting native plants in the area for caterpillars to uh, lay their eggs and to, to eat from. And then we take the caterpillars and put them into a safe environment so that birds don't eat them so that we can help restore the butterfly population. So that's like my favorite hobby. Um, and yeah, it's very Ferndale-like in its way. That is very Ferndale-y, very, uh, it's, it seems like one of those things that's very peaceful, very rewarding at the same time. Yes, it is. <laughs> So let's get to a more stressful conversation. Let's talk about <laughs> the event. Let's talk about uh, Ferndale Pride and you know how did it get started and, and kind of give us the back history on it. So in 2011, um, Motor City Pride that had originally started operating in Royal Oak, they had moved to Ferndale previously. In 2011, they decided they wanted to make their move to Detroit, really expand their event and become the Motor City Pride that Detroit deserved. And so they, when they did that, um, 
it felt very strange in Ferndale because Ferndale is the LGBTQ neighborhood of Michigan and our restaurants and shops are very much catered to our community, although everyone's welcome always in Ferndale. Um, it just felt like a big piece of our city was missing. I actually moved to Ferndale and one, with one of the reasons being the Pride Festival being right there, it was like, oh, I can live there. I can always go to Pride, have a great time. Um, and then it was gone. And so Craig Covey, who was our former mayor, he was the first openly gay mayor in the state of Michigan, myself, Greg Pollica, and Monica Mills, who are all people who have done projects and big events before, decided let's do something. So the first year we had only a few weeks to really throw things together. So we had a series of marches throughout the city. Um, we did like kind of a pub crawl march. We did a light the night against hate march. And we did a, I believe a history march. This is a long time ago already. So a few different marches and, um, and kind of rally people. The second year we were able to close down the street and then we've just grown ever since. How many people are you expecting this year for 2022 March or Pride Festival? Well, we think throughout the week we'll have about 20,000 people come in. Um, the festival itself is on one day, but we have events leading up to and events after for the whole month now, actually. So quite a bit of, um, it brings a lot of people. There's, it's one of the number one days for the shopping district in Ferndale. Um, in many places we beat Christmas and some of our bars, we beat St. Patrick's day. So we know that it's a, it's a popular day. That's awesome. And it's for such a good, such a good thing too. Um, so I, you know, I, I want to kind of discuss, so you started in 2011 and then, you know, 2014, you, you decided to go on your own with it and kind of discuss that a little bit and what that was like. So, um, I was driving home from school because I was a teacher, as you mentioned, and, um, I was having these thoughts like, you know, this, this festival is growing. It's a lot more work. Um, I think I want to call Craig and ask, can I take over the festival? He was doing it at the time and he was talking about retirement quite a bit. And so I'm having this, these thoughts on my way home and my phone rings and it's Craig. And he says, I've got a question for you. How do you feel about taking over the festival? And I said, I was going to call you to ask you that. And so I said, this makes it a lot less awkward. And so it was a, like a, just a wonderful handoff. He was getting ready to retire, move back um, home to Ohio. And I was really invested in the festival as I am still to this day, but um, I had a vision for it. And he's, he and I don't have the same vision, but he supports what I'm doing with it. So um, that was kind of an interesting thing to say, like, you know what, the, it's time for you to take over. So um, that's how it happened. That's, that's a cool story. It's one of those, you're probably freaking yourself out in your mind about it. And then it just happened to work itself out where it was, hey, it fell into place. Yeah, it's definitely not every day that you think I should call my mentor and ask if I can take their job from them. But um, <laughs> it seemed like it was a good time and it worked. <laughs> so. And you've done such an incredible job with it. And for, for 20,000 to be expected uh, over the course of the, the um, activities this, this, uh, for the week, like that's, that's huge growth. Um, to give your listeners an idea, Ferndale is only about 23,000 people, I think was around the last count. So we're, we're a small town, um, but we've ranked in one of the, in the top five for big small town prides um, to go to in the country. So that's really exciting um, after Ellen gave us that accolade. So that's so cool. What? So you were a teacher for how many years? I taught in public school for 19 years and one year in a charter. So 20 years, <laughs> 20 years. It had to be very scary to make the leap. 
It was. Um, there was there was like there was a lot of apprehension, um, uh, like because you know it, it's not. So there's a lot of security in teaching. Let's just be honest. There's a teacher shortage throughout the country. Um, it comes with some great benefits like insurance, but it comes with a lot of stress too. And I, um, I was literally teaching all day, driving to get my son at school, taking a seven to 15 minute nap in the car, depending on traffic, and then working till midnight on pride every single night, which was okay in my younger thirties. But as I got to my older thirties, it started to like actually be extremely painful um, physically. And then, um, so as the time came and stuff started shifting in my teaching career, they were looking at moving me maybe to an elementary school. And I just like, you know what? This is the time. Let's make the leap. Um, pride's grown big enough that you know you're, you're going to be able to keep a house over your head, but you'll be able, you'll still have to to really um, churn out the work. And so I did it. And um, it was hard to leave my kids. I still talk to a lot of my students. I still get text messages from some of the high schoolers, and a lot of them come to the festival. But um, it was it was the right choice for me personally. So I'm happy with it. Did it take? a long time of planning and, and making sure you had everything in a row before, you know, that conversation of, Hey, it's, it's time I'm putting in my notice. Or was it one of those things that you just knew? And it was like, I have to do this. Yeah. I think if they, if they would have said, you're going to be at the high school for the rest of your career, I would have stuck it out because I really liked my high school job. But um, I, you know, 50% of my life, I'm, I'm working on pride, which often occurs in bars and nightclubs and I'm on a microphone and, I am not someone who needs to be working with elementary school children. My sarcasm <laughs> is high. Um, and for middle school and high school, it was great. Like the kids, kids got it. But like, I'm a very tattooed lady who, when I walk in a room, elementary school kids get scared and I didn't want to do that to them. <laughs> so yeah. I think it was the right choice for everybody. <laughs> How long ago was that? That was two Decembers ago. So you know, with the remote start nation, one of the things that we talk a lot about is, is making that leap and going from, you know, like, like you said, that secure place that, you know, that, that full-time job that you leave to start something unknown. And, you know, you've had a lot of years of experience with the festival to know where you needed to take it. And, you know, I, can you give the remote start nation just uh, maybe a couple of thoughts or pointers of, you know, things that really helped you to make that transition or, you know, what you did right away when you left to know that, hey, this is going to be okay. I've got this. I, I know I can make this happen. Um, as far as the festival goes, there were like different areas that I, I kind of focused on building, if that's what you mean. Um, so one of those areas was sponsorship. So making sure that my long-term sponsors were happy as I grew the event, but also trying to find those new contacts. So a lot of times people say, oh, you're out all the time. You're always out partying. Well, I'm actually not the one partying. I'm having sober conversations with people that we can come back to when they're not at the bar so we can continue yeah. sponsorship. So there's a lot of um, just making those personal connections and making sure we can build those sponsorships. And then over the years, a lot of learning curve on that. Like, can I actually deliver this much to my sponsors so that we can make our goals and trying to like really tailor to what we can deliver? Um, so that was one facet. The other facet we really had to grow was our popularity as an event. So, you know, people really knew Motor City Pride. Um, there was a little confusion since it was going to be in the same location. And so we had to really brand our event differently and then also make sure we got the word out, which 
um, it kind of changed throughout the years. And so once we were able to build the popularity, build the, um, the financial base, it was a little more, I was a little more ready to go. And I still do work some side jobs in between, but, yeah. um, but now I can feel confident that I have this, this full-time situation. Awesome. And I know, you know, going, if the nightclubs and going out and making those conversations is, is a great way to network and, and meet new people. Is that something that since you've been full-time and not had to worry about getting up early to teach in the morning and that you've been able to find a lot more time to do? Yes. And I wish, I wish I'm laughing at you a little bit because I was still doing that when I was teaching. I was just really burnt. My, my family always said you burn every candle at both ends, no matter which candle it is. And, um, I, I was definitely, I was not a person who needed a lot of sleep to operate. So I took advantage of that. Um, but now it's, I can actually, I seem to like upload more information about the people because there's more space in my brain. And that really helps me because if I know your organization um, is maybe low on funding for a sponsorship, but really has this great networking program where they do volunteer work, I've got volunteer spots ready to go. So we can always find a way to bring people in and make them feel included. And it doesn't always have to be financial. So we're, it's always looking at how can we include people? How can we use whatever skills they bring to the table to make the event better? Which, which has definitely shown over the years as it's continued to improve is there so giving more time because you're focusing on you know the the festival itself and not a full-time job and the festival what are some of the biggest changes over the last um would you say two years um that you've been able to make well the pivot pivoting towards through COVID was a huge one, you know, like that, I feel like had to be something I could do in, in the full-time uh, work of pride because we had companies completely go out of business. We had our, like the company that we used to register our vendors went out of business. Our tent company stopped delivering on Saturdays, which is a big problem for us. So like all these big problems came up, but I had the time to solve them, which was a really big benefit because I think when, when you're trying to do those two jobs, you get bogged down and like, okay, I have to do this one thing, but really my focus today needs to be this other thing. So I was able to prioritize a lot better. Um, and the other thing is I'm able to like fine tune. So it's, there's a constant fine tuning of this event for me. And that's like, we wanna listen to the community for their needs, look at those needs, see are they needs across the community or just one person in our community. And if they are, we wanna add that to the festival. And then it's how do we add that to the festival and find the types of people who want to volunteer um, or work that day to make that area come off really well. So like our, our recovery zone, for example, we added that. Um, at first we weren't really sure what to do. The recovery community had some ideas that they wanted to run through it. And then finally this year, we, we networked with a group called the Phoenix. Um, they're a group that does recovery related activities. So not just like, um, not exactly the same as AA or something like that, where you sit down and talk about recovery, you go out and do yoga or um, or take a class. There's, I think they have a writing class. They have all sorts of athletic things, clubs. And so we want to make that part of the festival. So this year they're taking over the recovery zone and we're just handing that off as far as the activity planning to them growing the children's area. This year we're adding, um, health, our health area, um, which we've always had, but we didn't really, I didn't really realize like people don't know that we have all these health services. So I was sitting down speaking to someone from the community who's in the um, autism 
part of our community. And she said, you know, there's no place for people with autism to take a quiet break from stimulation um, or anyone with sensory overload issues. And then also, um, you know, it's, it's hard for people with disabilities to come to events because they're expensive. So like, what do you guys offer when you're there? So I was able to listen to that information and say, okay, now we're going to create a health page in our pride guide that tells people you can get all these different medical services. You can get free clothing at our pride festival. You can get, um, you can get mental health counseling. You can get vaccinations. So all of these different services were offered, but now it's like, how do I present this to people so that they can um, use it. We also have a sensory area now for people to take a quiet zone break and put in earplugs, play with fidgets, whatever they need to do to calm down. So making sure that the community is met really helped grow the event because now I can see these different pockets of groups that maybe aren't represented at other pride festivals coming to our festival. Yeah. It's incredible what you've done for the community and, and continue to do so. And it's it's a blessing for the community that you have been able to spend more time on it and and just add things like you were just mentioning that just it takes it to another level and it it does make it so everybody can come and enjoy you know what what you've created so hats off to you on that that's that's awesome thank you so um back to kind of like the teaching and thing i mentioned in the podcast and other guests have mentioned that when they're when they have their full-time business or I'm sorry, a job or they go from job to job before they, they decide to go full time and what kind of what they take with it. And, you know, for you uh, being a school teacher and then, you know, an event promoter and producer, are there certain takeaways that you use today that maybe you did every day in school or, you know, in your career that you've kind of continued to do now that has kind of given you a, a, maybe a head start or even um, just a good grounding of, of something that you can take with you? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a couple of different things I can think of. For, one of them is um, teachers are constantly being told to do things with nothing come up with something, raise the money yourself, figure it out. Um, so that was really something that just comes naturally. Um, we also have to do so many different things. Like I have taught theater and gym and art, and I'm not qualified to teach any of those things, but sometimes they need someone and English and math. And, and so it's just like, you constantly have to just, okay, I can learn this. I can do it. I can learn it. I can do it. So that's kind of been my philosophy. And like, sometimes it comes back to bite me a little bit, but like last year I was like, I can learn web design. I needed help. But now I can actually like program the back of my website for pride, which, you know, that's, that was a big step for me because I didn't grow up in that generation. So just kind of being able to be a learner constantly has really helped. Um, at the school, they also realized that I had some fundraising abilities from, I, I had worked on AIDS Walk Detroit before I was um, kind of in the beginning of my teaching career. And so when I, um, the musical staff noticed that I was able to raise money for some charities. And they were like, can you help us? We need $25,000 a year for our musical. And I said, sure, why not? I think I can do that. And so I started fundraising there and that helped me create a lot of the templates that I still even use today um, because I was successful in being able to raise over $25,000 three years in a row. Um, and then I adopted a child and decided to back off of that. But um, so those two skills though, that, that skill of like practicing fundraising and pivoting and, and learning and also like asking people to help you and not just relying on Google to learn everything. Like yeah. that is something that's humbling, but also important because 
there are so many experts in the world. Like today I texted someone and said, I'm supposed to do this to this data. And she's like, of course I know how to do that to a spreadsheet. Like that's her job, you know? And I was like, that's, that's why I texted you. But then she'll text me with like other questions. Like I have this other thing I need to do and I have no idea. And I'm like, here's how you do that. You know, so we're just a lot of information trading and being willing to learn, I think is the most important thing. That's awesome. And that, I think that could, you know, regardless remote start nation of, of what you're doing and, and what business you want to start that, that shared learning and, and not being afraid to reach out to others as, as Julia just mentioned, I think it's, it goes so far. So thank you for sharing that. Um, you know, it's funny. I was, I was mountain biking this weekend. I kind of wanted your opinion on this and, and the guy I was mountain biking with is a school teacher and a counselor actually at a, a school system here in Asheville, North Carolina. And, uh, he was telling me how many people are, are leaving the school system and, and starting to do things on their own and, um, you know, just almost just bridge that gap from instead of staying until retirement, like going out and making their own thing happen for them. And are, have you seen that as well with your peers in the school system? Um, from my school, I was even 20 years in, I was still one of the younger staff members. I was kind of getting to the middle at, the, at that point in my career. A lot of people are staying to the end. Um, I was only four years away, to be honest. I could have qualified for first rung full retirement benefits in four years, but the stress of it was just too hard for me. It's interesting though, when teachers, the teachers that have stepped away, there's one, one other one who lives on my block uh, from my district and the, the change in how you're treated is so incredibly different you know, people thank me at pride for my job. And a lot of times teaching is thankless and often fingers are pointed. So there's a sense of self-worth that took a while to gain afterwards, but it's been really positive. That's, thank you for sharing that. That's, I, I, cause I see it and I've even seen it in some of uh, my friends that have kind of made the, made the jump. And it's almost like as we can, like every year more and more comes on your plate as a teacher that, you know, you maybe didn't sign up to do, or, or you're being asked to do beyond. And I could, I could see it just being very taxing. And, and so I, I could see how people kind of thank you for, for what you've done for the community with pride and on the teaching, it's almost like, well, you're a teacher, you're supposed to do that for our students. And so you're supposed to go get breakfast for all your kids every day and make sure they have like clean clothes. Yeah. It's just, it's a different, it's a different world. And um, yeah. I'm, I'm, I think also though, there was always that nagging feeling like I have to get up and do this job. And with pride, there's not that nagging feeling. In fact, there's a, sometimes people will say you have to stop working right now. You know, it's, it's midnight and you're working. So that kind of desire to do a job is makes the job much more fun and makes it not feel like work. Like it's that old saying of like, you know, you'll never work a day in your life. Well, I mean, I work hard, but I, I love what I get to do. So that's, that's made my quality of life so much better. And when you, and when you're, what you do is to put on an event and to sit back at the end and, you know, do you ever sit, you know, the week after just kind of sit there and go, wow, what did I just pull? What did I just pull off? Like that has to be so rewarding. Yeah. There are definitely some moments. Um, there's always a moment during the festival where I just burst into tears and there's no rhyme or reason to it. I don't know why or when it will happen. Last year, I saw my friend's twins come into the festival, little babies. And I've known these people for, you know, 12 years now and saw their like everything, all their life events. And 
burst into tears and the moms freaked out that I wasn't okay. And I'm like, your kids are here. So it could be that <laughs> one year it was a dance off. One year it was our, our headliner just like gave the most incredible performance. And the, I looked at the crowd and they were having so much fun. Um, and then later on in the year, um, our event actually raises money for charities. And that's what makes us kind of stand out from a lot of pride festivals. So we give away money to six local charities that all have uh, major work they do in Ferndale. And that's also awesome because every year, at least for the last 12 years, we've been able to increase that amount that we give to local charities. And we keep, so we're keeping all of this money that comes in to the city, in the city, working for people in the city, which is really cool. So what are the six organizations that you're giving money back to for, with the event? So we donate to Affirmations, which is an LGBT community center. It's located right in the heart of downtown Ferndale. The Ferndale Community Foundation, which is the organization that hires me to do Ferndale Pride and gives away micro grants all over the city. Gender Identity Network Alliance, Matrix Human Services, TG Detroit, and Transgender Michigan are our six charities. Um, Transgender Michigan is founded by the same person who founded Transgender Day of Visibility. She is from Michigan um, and she has a internationally known presence. So it's really nice to be able to give back to someone who's, who's literally changed the world. Um, and so those are our six. And then we have a seventh um, that isn't an LGBT focus, but working with Western Market, which is our grocery store and um, Ferndale, it's called Fern Care. We have in Fern, Ferndale is such a special place. We have this organization called Ferndale, Fern Care, and it is a medical facility where people can go to get free medical treatment, period. Um, anyone from anywhere in Michigan can come. Uh, there's full medical treatment and, and also help with like getting medical insurance. Like I sat down with them when I, I left my job and just said, help me go through this insurance process. Um, and, and they provide that type of counseling. So just this amazing program. So we have this, we only have one beer and wine tent. Um, we keep all the alcohol off the street during our festival, which is a little bit different as well, but we split the proceeds with Fern Care. So we, we are able to get seven charities involved at least because those micro grants can actually reach more charities. So it's a really cool thing. So in 12 years, we've given just over $300,000 back to our city. Wow. That is such an accomplishment. Thank you. Something, that is something to be so proud of. Yeah, I, it's, it's shocking. Cause like that, I always had those numbers bouncing in my head, like how much have we raised in these different events? But then when it comes down to it and, and you see the impact it makes on the charities, you know, making sure that people have food and clothing and uh, mental health care and medical needs. It's just, it's so important. And this gives us the opportunity to, to have fun, but also provide these things that are so important for people. Yeah. So how is, you know, you, you talked about seven different charities now, and, you know, I, I imagine there's a lot that's evolved over the years from, you know, when you started to, to now, and are there anything else like that, you know, obviously that many charities and that much money, but um, are there any other things that have evolved, you know, tremendously that you can look at and that you, you can sit back and be super proud of? I mean, there's like a feeling, I think that um, it really kind of crystallized at during COVID um, for our city that, that I'm really proud of. And that's like, just like this feeling that it, it's an essential part of us as Ferndale, we're, we're Ferndaleans actually, is what we're called. Um, and that, that was really clear in 
during COVID because we did, we were like, you know what, we can't have pride this year. Let's sell pride flags off my front porch and see what happens. And we sold about 500 pride flags. So the five cities in the area were just like lit up with rainbows and, and everyone kind of posted their home pride pictures. So there's that, that feeling you have to create, um, when on pride day, it's happy pride. It's just like Merry Christmas, except it's probably said more in the city. Um, so happy pride is really like, it's, it's just the way it feels that day. People just greet each other that way. Um, something that kind of blew my mind a few years back and just continues is when I started this stuff <laughs> back, when I came out, it was like 1993. And so, you know, Ellen didn't come out for a few years later. I was an activist from the time I came out of the womb. I think I was trying to change something in the world. So um, I never really saw my own peers being supportive as a child. Like there were kids who were like, oh, you know, they were cool with the fact that I was gay and they were still my friend, but it wasn't like they were rallying around to help me. But as we've progressed and I get into rooms with people and we're one time we were having this major prayer ceremony for the women who were fighting um, for uh, marriage equality. And I looked around the room and I realized this is not all queer people. This is a lot of our allies coming together. And when I have allies tell me, you know, I bring my kids to, to pride because I want them to know that if they're queer, their parents support them. That's like a different mindset than what I could even wrap my head around. Like, of course, my kid goes to pride because his mom's gay, but like being able to say to your kids, you know, no matter who you are, we love and support you. And we want you to see a variety of people and how they live in the world. Like that's not something I had the privilege of seeing growing up. And yeah. that's probably one of the things I'm the most proud of. Um, you know, I, the first pride festival I went to was in a parking structure and, you know, I was so excited to be there, but I look back and think, ah, that was, that was, you know, probably the best they could do at the time, but it does not feel like a celebration. And now, you know, we're in the streets, there's, there's flags hanging from every building. Like we're out, we're visible. We're not just like hiding anymore. And that is, I think the most, the biggest pride point for me. That's incredible. And then to think that you've had a, a, a big helping hand in our community to, to evolve that and, and bring it to what it has is, is awesome. Thank you for everything you do really. Thank you. It's incredible. Uh, one last thing I wanted to kind of touch base on as it relates to, you know, starting your own business and, and, and running your brand. Uh, what are, what are your routines that you have? Is there something that you wake up and, and every day it's the same thing and set your goals? And can you kind of hit on that a little bit? So um, I try to look at a two week block. Um, and that's a little bit because I have a child shared custody schedule. So um, we have a week on week off. So I kind of look at the two week block. Um, my time schedule is not like a normal job. So there are many nights where I work till 3 a.m. at a club or a party. And then there are times where I still have to make an interview at 8 a.m. in the morning. <laughs> so today, for example, um, so I try to budget my time throughout the week and give myself gaps. This is something I was really bad at until I got like really forced myself to do it. So instead of, okay, Jim said he wants to meet at this time to record the podcast. That means exactly one second after I can do this thing. I give myself at least 30 minutes between things. Um, and I think that was erasing my teacher mindset of you only get four minutes, you know, yeah. you run to the bathroom, come back. So I've erased that mindset and said, you get half an hour to, to refocus, reset, 
drive to where you need to drive. That's helped. So I look at that budget. And then I also look at like, how am I going to rebudget my sleep? Because I don't get eight hours of sleep because of that. So like today I went to my morning job, I came home, I slept, then I woke up with enough time to prepare. So trying to like build in buffer times to take care of myself, especially as a single person, like I have to make sure that like time to eat's on the schedule time. And cause you can get, when you're like, when you're a person who does your own business, you hopefully love your business and you want to give your business everything and you can, but you also have to make sure that you're like making time for yourself because otherwise it just becomes too taxing. So that's been the biggest thing is like looking at these two weeks, two week chunks and trying to figure it out. And then the other thing I do, which is really helpful because this job gets to a lot of minutia is I try to think about things that people have said to me throughout um, my time at pride to like motivate me. So like when I'm like bogged down because the city's made some rule that I really don't agree with and I'm really angry at the world, I try to stop and say, okay, I want you to think about this person who came to pride and, and what it meant to them. And it's not about the streets and why the pothole isn't filled the way you want it to be. It's about this. So between that time scheduling and like those affirmations in my head, it really helps balance. If that makes sense. I know that's not like a specific, um, I gave up, I gave up coffee. I gave up caffeine. I'm just a hyper person. So I've like given up on any additives. So the, the routine is usually just like wake up and just begrudgingly start until your body kicks in. <laughs> I love, I love how you said you, number one, you schedule more time for yourself after everything. I think that's so important. I know for me, I find myself too often going into that last minute and then not being able to, like you said, like reset or refresh and, and have a good idea for what you're getting into next. I think that's a, a great point of advice. Um, you know, and- it, it's really interesting because a lot of people like, you know, joke about millennials, but I listen to a lot of millennials and the self-care things I've learned from them are quite amazing as a generation Xer, like, you know, they say things like, you know, after you've cried, thank yourself for processing your feelings. And I was like, oh, I grew up in a time where you just didn't cry. Just don't cry. Yeah. <laughs> so it was like, so, so that budgeting of time really came from them saying, you know, you need to make more time for these things to occur. So, you know, also listening to people from different generations who grew up with different expectations, um, it really helped me kind of balance my life out. What's well, when you have an open mind and can kind of listen to everybody for, you know, different elements of what, who they are, like, that's huge. Um, so, well, Julie, I, I, I thank you so much for spending the time today. I know you're extremely busy and I cannot wait to uh, hear how everything goes. I'm in traveling the country. I can't be there this year for, for the festival, but I, I definitely am excited for it. And thank you for, uh, you know, again, for everything you do for the community. And so, yeah, I, I appreciate everything. And, uh, with that remote star nation, I, I really hope you can take some of what Julia gave you and, and, uh, share with us today and put that into your life and start something now, uh, from the bottom of my heart. Thank you all for joining us on this journey. And, um, as we help to have you start your business, grow your brand and create your desired lifestyle. So I just want to, uh, remind you, leave a comment, subscribe, share this episode with your community who you think could learn from what you've heard here today. And until next time, go start something, start today, and go build the lifestyle you desire by taking action.
Okay, so if you'd like to join us for Ferndale Pride, it is on June 4th in downtown Ferndale on Woodward and Nine Mile, located right on Nine Mile. But if you come to Woodward and Nine Mile, you will find us. And we start our main stage at 1230, and then we go all the way till 10 o'clock at night. Pick up a Pride Guide or find us at www.ferndalepride.com. Our Facebook and Instagram are also Ferndale Pride. And hopefully you will find us and come to the festival and party with us that day. Excellent. Thank you, Julia. Well, Remote Start Nation, we have come to the end of another episode. This episode was brought to you by our sponsor, Woodward Movement, your go-to for brand identity, branded merchandise, and brand delivery. I want to thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's show, head on over to remotestartpodcast.com or our social channels to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover our fantastic free resources to help you on your journey. And as always, please don't forget to share the Remote Start Podcast with your friends and colleagues you think would enjoy being part of the Remote Start Nation. Until next time.